0: By staying home, you can not only protect your health and that of those around
1: you, but ensure that our healthcare professionals and our healthcare systems can focus on those who need their help. Hello, and welcome to Corona Movie Club, my entertainment world's answer to social isolation. Um, so we have a schedule of movies, and we're all going to watch them independently in our own socially isolated homes. And then three times a week, we're going to get together over the internet and talk about them, just like your mom's old book club used to do. Um, except now there's nothing old about it because it's all over the internet, and we're all social isolating so that we don't help spread <laughs> the coronavirus around the universe. Um, so we have people from all over North America who are participating, and there's going to be different people on each call from the uh, core group and so every episode I'm going to come in and introduce the film that we're going to be watching as well as the names of the people that are going to be on that week's call or that episode's call because we're going to be doing this three times a week. Um, So I hope you guys enjoy.
2: Let's go to the movies.
0: It's something to do.
1: For our second documentary in a row, we're uh, changing pace but still staying in the idea of um, like the creation, the artistic creation process, um, though on a very different scale. Um, this week's or this episode's movie is the best worst, it's, I guess there's no be- the, just best worst thing that ever could have happened, um, which is a 2016 documentary made by Lonnie Price. Um, so Lonnie Price was in the original Broadway cast of Merrily We Roll Along, um, which is one of Stephen Sondheim's, if not his biggest flop ever, certainly one of them. Um, it only played on Broadway for 16 performances in I believe 1981 um, And uh, yeah it was it's just considered a massive flop but in the time since uh, the original Broadway production it's become a really big um, not a, if not a mainstream hit certainly like a really well accepted critical hit and like with certainly more than cult following. Um, so some of the songs have become standouts and performed a lot in concert versions. Um, it's just a really popular regional production um yeah so this this documentary follows the original broadway cast which was all really young people including a young jason alexander um and lonnie price himself um it's a cute documentary and the uh people on the call were myself kelly bedard brie garcia laura hubbard matthew yipchek and nicole falgu um so i hope you enjoy this little foray into uh all things sondheim
2: for uh bringing Alerting to the Sondheims. Well. I got you. As soon yeah.
3: as, I knew, as soon as I said Sondheim, I
2: would. I yeah, would do it. Yeah.
0: Sometimes <laughs> you just wheel everybody okay. in.
2: So as as a
1: musical theater person,
2: yeah, um,
1: I got to say my Sondheim knowledge. I mean, like, if you are into musical theater, there's like a baseline amount of Sondheim knowledge you just do have. But yeah. I will I will say mine is pretty severely lacking from like above that baseline. Like I obviously know Into the Woods really well. Company. Um, and Sweeney Todd, because they're produced constantly. But other than that, I, I I just feel like I don't know really anything. I mean, I loved his birthday. That was oh, yeah. really fun. I mean, com- company. The I, music I, is I mean- fantastic. Yeah, yeah, but I have, like, I have, like, select selections from some of the others that have made it onto my playlists over the years. Like, I've got a little bit of evening, evening primrose here and there, you know, but, like. Yeah, a little yeah. night music. A, a, well, see, I hate yeah. a little night music the one time I saw it, but I love the one song, right? Like, Sending right. the Clowns is beautiful. Um, what about but when Weekend I actually in the Country?
2: I do love a Weekend in the Country. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I saw it at Stratford and crazy. thought it was really
1: dumb. So like, I Oh, know. yeah. So I just don't Try know, me. I don't know my, my son time, and I feel like a weird um, poser because Ooh. I like know a lot about no, Andrew okay. Lloyd Webber. I feel like
2: I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely like, I feel like I'm versed yeah. enough. I have been around like my aunt and uncle, like they're really like, my uncle's like very good pianist and he'll play, um, at, he'll just like, break out like company all the time, which is great. And like it's so like there's a some christmas parties where they uh do like and you could drive a person crazy like do all that and then there's Um,
1: your family is too cute
2: for words yeah (laughs) no and then there's this it's my cousin's friend she's a beautiful singing voice and she'll do the uh not getting married today um she'll do that the soprano it's wow
1: i think company's a masterpiece it's the only one that i'm like really into um i don't know I know Matt's really into Into the Woods. I do love Into the Woods. Are you like a general Sondheim person or just specifically an Into the Woods person?
0: General Sondheim. Like, I love everything, just to varying degrees.
2: Yeah. Mm
4: -hmm. Hi, I'm going to be blasphemous. Well, one, if you hear any cheating, uh, cheating, um, horns, that's the 7 p.m. thing, which is why I keep face palming because someone's, like, slamming pots. Um, but I have never seen a Sondheim show performed, Mm -hmm. ever. I have seen uh sweeney todd the movie with johnny depp and i saw into the woods the movie and i thought chris pine was
1: attractive but
2: so, well, you but that, that, that was wasn't news up, for you that he's that your number it, one was- chris because you're wrong <laughs> that still um, counts that still counts
1: it does i actually think the into the woods movie is not half bad so i think that totally it's counts. not
0: half bad but since it's not full good yeah. It's not as good as it could be, and therefore, is a disappointment. I
1: it like is. A, the, I'm, I'm the always song. disappointed when when someone tells me their first exposure to a musical was the movie adaptation, unless it was Chicago, um, yeah,
2: because, because... although Phantom kind well, of well, yeah, got so me it into isn't... it, it's I mean, it was so yeah. like a masterpiece, <laughs> but it, like it got me like in angsty like 2005, <laughs> like high school, whatever. It's just like,
1: what is this? So you I mean, hadn't you... seen Phantom my. Either. My
2: parents are very not huge into Andrew Lloyd Webber so I had to discover <sighs> Phantom and Les Mis and I well we read the book like so I read the book before seeing the show of Les Mis okay so I was like and I was really loved the book you oh do know gosh. that's not
1: Andrew Lloyd Webber right
2: no I know I said okay but I'm in that era of musicals I know right like, the 80s no, yeah I yeah, yeah. it's not Andrew Lloyd Webber but for some <laughs> whatever reason like that wasn't introduced I had to guess I found out about it later than some others because there's a lot of musical theater but that wasn't part of the canon
1: okay this is this podcast is not about the phantom movie but I will say that them like over sexualizing it caused a lot of problems and created a lot of backlash <laughs> against a really good musical that a bunch of people on the internet then were like it's incredibly toxic I'm like it's oh, not it you're not supposed to be rooting for the phantom you idiots but anyway <sighs> let's focus um, what about this? Um, so, okay, we have feelings about Sondheim, but how are, what are our feelings on this um, documentary about the Sondheim show? I oh, want to go first. Okay.
0: okay. <laughs> also, preface, I have to duck out at like 7.30 because I'm doing Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf with Ooh. some oh, Canada eight people. I'm George, I know.
3: Ooh, I'm that's
0: I'm the go. leading
1: role, everybody. Oh, that's amazing.
0: I know. So many big words. So, here we go. Just in case I disappear, which I will. Um, <laughs> I just, I love, I really love this movie. It a rem- I like documentaries in general, but then documentaries mixed with musical theater, like musical theater that I like is just the recipe for something that I will probably love. And I did love this. Yeah. And it's similar to, it reminds me of the Chorus Line documentary, um, Every mm-hmm. Little Step, where I think it's interesting that in some ways the documentary about the piece is a better exploration of the themes than the piece that it's about, which I find really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Just how this whole thing, like like the story of all the people who created Merrily just inevitably mirrored everything that Merrily is about with like the industry breaking apart friendships and then people growing up and then reflecting on their lives when they were kids and then seeing like what happened and asking themselves, Oh, do I like who I am now? Do I not? Like, I can't change it. Would I change anything I did? So just like knowing the show and loving the show as much as I do, this is like the optimal like compliment to merrily we roll on, which I really love. So those are my opening thoughts.
3: And I liked to kind of build on that, that uh, one of the key parts of it was they, they end the show, because it's backwards, with this everyone's full of dreams and, you know, they're, they're graduating and they're so excited. And then you have one of the cast members literally say that she wants her, her children to be able to dream, but she doesn't want them to take it too far. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's a really interesting take on something that parents usually instill on their children very, very early is that can chase your dreams and go for it. And it's your attitude, not your aptitude that determines your altitude. But this, wom- this woman goes through this experience, and because of that, she kind of changes part of that platitude. Mm. Have
2: you? So, how many have seen "Merrily We Roll Along"?
1: Never seen it yeah. three times. Oh okay. wow! Um,
2: yeah, I saw it once a few years. Like, I think it was a. I think BU did a production of it um, at the Hunt um but yeah i mean i think being somewhat familiar with it it was kind of i did enjoy that i don't know the theme of the musical and the theme of the documentary sort of in real life they complemented each other very well and it did sort of provide an interesting biographical context um because it sort of the whole disintegrating friendship in that musical kind of caused that to happen in real life. And it is sort of picking up the pieces again. we're kind of going in reverse as it were um, with getting everyone together in the 2002, they are all together again to do this. I don't know, I, I liked, I thought it worked well on, a lot of levels and it was cool that they found that documentary footage from the unaired documentary.
1: Um, so, okay, Merrily We Roll Along when you see a regular production nowadays, mm-hmm. does it have um, significant changes? Like how did it turn into a musical that people like? And does it still, do they still do that thing with the, with the labels on the costumes or do they have real costumes?
0: It like depends on the production. I think I've never seen a production where they've done the t-shirt label thing. I think it's kind of fallen into being one of those shows where there's like, I think maybe two versions that you can license. I don't know officially, but just from what I've seen, I've seen it open with the graduation scene that they show briefly in this. And I've seen it open just with no framing device as a flashback and just opening straight into like the opening scene where they're all at the big Hollywood party so I don't know if that one time I saw the flashback scene was just shared in College like playing around or if it's something that's like legitimately licensable but I think the show has gotten I think it's been more widely accepted because people like they said have had the soundtrack to be able to just like appreciate how good music is and how good the story is over time and I feel like when you when you don't conceptualize it too heavily with like the t-shirts with the labels, when there is still that, that element of, I guess, realism with actual costumes, then it's slightly easier to follow because the costumes, when you see them, like one of the most, I think, striking things, which ties a lot into the costumes when you see Merrily live is seeing like the visual of them in the first scene when they're old and jaded and then seeing how they visually are, at the end when they're younger, especially because I think, I don't know if this was the production I saw or or if it's implied in the script, but like with Mary, for example, she gradually like lost weight as it went on. So like she was more heavily padded in the first scene Mm -hmm. and then she was like less heavily padded in the last scene. And then some of the other people like, yeah, there was some kind of visual thing that was just a through line to see how they progressed from start to finish. So I think like. Maybe that girl was right, maybe if she talked Hal Prince out of it, it would have been a success.
1: Is it still, is it usually like 18 year olds who do it? Because if it was me, I would cast 30 year olds because then they're playing 10 years up, 10 years down and you can figure it out. Um,
0: It depends, I think it's better if, or actually I don't know what's better. I've seen it a bunch of different ways.
2: And I feel like the
1: works. I would accept it the most from like just a purely student production because you're already suspending your disbelief for the people playing quote unquote adults anyway.
2: Yeah. Um, that's what the be, that's what the I mean, I guess. Yeah, college production. Yeah, why it wasn't a shock was that it was a that was sort of to be expected anyway. Um, but I think if I recall, I don't think they, they did the t-shirt thing. I think they wore just period um costumes of the time Um,
1: because um, there was a production recently in Toronto of um, uh, Sunday in the Park with George and they did the costume thing where it like said publicist and stuff on people's shirts in the second act um, where it was like modern I don't know so I was wondering because I'm not a huge Sondheim person so when I saw this documentary I was like oh was that like a deep cut Sondheim thing that they took from Merrily
2: who knows I, I could see someone doing that
3: but um, I think in the in the documentary it was a Hal Prince thing
2: mm-hmm. yeah
1: it definitely sounds like it wasn't like actually in the script or anything it was just Hal right. Prince maybe having a lapse of judgment
3: <laughs> you can only <laughs> have so many good, good idea. ideas in your life <laughs> he thought it was good because he thought that everyone was hiding behind the costumes and not unleashing their full potential
1: hmm. I think he was also probably insecure about Like, he probably felt uncomfortable about, like, the suspension of disbelief of having the young people do the older parts, and he thought it looked silly, and so he wanted to, like, distance from it in order to, like, avoid that feeling of vulnerability and sort of, like, make it ironic somehow, and I think that's always a mistake, would be my best guess if I was to psychoanalyze the most successful theatre director in history. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I think the trap with this show is that it will never fully work because of the age discrepancy thing, which is why I've said since I first saw this when I was like 20 that I wanted to make a film where it was the same actors over time. And now I'm really happy but also kind of bitter that Richard Linklater is actually doing that.
1: Unfortunately with He Who Shall Not Be Named, though.
0: Is that canceled? Do we know?
1: Oh, I don't know. I feel like they started in 2019, and so if I were them... I would just refilm. Yeah, I'd start over because yeah. obviously, like Ben Platt and Beanie Feldstein, that's a slam dunk. Um, mm. And then just recast the problematic Frank. They ha- that there's precedent for cast recasting a problematic <laughs> Frank. <laughs> it's fine.
0: Oh, except problematic Frank, the original was trying so hard, and he seemed. Yeah, like he wasn't
1: a bad guy. guy. He just couldn't dance.
0: Yeah, felt so bad for him.
1: <laughs> yeah. How did he get so far, though? That's what I found so confusing. Like, he got uh, he got fired in the middle of previews. Oof. I
0: think it's because they were chasing, oh, the original Frank who got fired, this, um, the guy was on the poster. But I feel like it's because they were chasing the dream or the vision, which was probably a better idea in theory than in practice of having, like, unpolished kids with just like genuine love and passion mm. and drive behind them which is why I think there was that discussion where um, I can't remember her name but the one who played Mary was talking to um, the guy who played Charlie who Lonnie That's it, talking to Lonnie saying we might get fired because we're too professional so yeah. since that was like something that was on their radar I think that was probably the vision that they were chasing like look how beautiful it is to have this like raw Untainted talent on stage performing our work before they realized that there had to be a balance.
1: I find that surprising though, because certainly in my experience, there are so many like still in school, like totally raw talent, like all driven by passion people who like could do it, like are so good. If you ever go to see like an ESA production, like Topico School of the Arts, like it's all high school kids. Um, or like a, a Wexford production. There's tons of, you know, so that's why I find it surprising that they had something like 12,000 kids auditioned and they ended up with a bad Frank. How? <laughs> <laughs> <Yes. laughs> bad Frank. Yeah, um,
4: if you can't tell, as someone who has never seen a musical, has never heard the music, in fact, had not heard of it before this, <laughs> Oops. It was actually really interesting kind of looking at it from like a complete outsider's like looking in, I mentioned to a friend, I was watching this, and she referenced um, the producers just in terms of plot-wise mm-hmm. of what actually happened. She It seems kind of interesting, but I thought the one thing that definitely jumped out to me was just the idea of like this backwards time thing not working, just because I remember seeing last five years um, when I was in college, and it was just like, I completely got that there were two very different, like granted one's five years versus like 20, 30 years. Um, But like the time thing wasn't really that um, jarring. And so to hear how like audiences is just like completely left was like sad. And I just don't know if it was the music, like people hadn't been able to kind of like accumulate to the music as long as well with the kids. And so that was a yeah. Sad. But, I uh, mean,
1: first then, of all, the last five years, is the perfect musical. So uh, yeah. if you were to walk out of last five years, you'd be crazy. <laughs> Second, people walk out of everything. Like yeah, you're, true. you're not a good show unless you've mad, made somebody mad. Um, and third, I think, I think you hit it on the head when you said it's like, granted it's five years versus 20 years, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and also you've got half the narrative in the last five years going forward. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. but I think most, there's a large number of actors who can play 22 to 27 which is the age range in the last five years whereas asking someone to play 18 to 38 that's really like it's gonna there's something's gonna look silly and I personally think they kind of picked the wrong thing like if they'd had 30 year olds or even 40 year olds like you put them in some sneakers and have them do a short scene at the end at which point people theoretically have already bought in Um, but to start out with the hardest thing for the audience to get on board with which is seeing the really young actors playing really old it starts to look Mm -hmm. cartoony and sketch-like really quickly and I think that's probably they probably never never got people on board from the first Mm -hmm. scene and then it was yeah uh,
4: like when they're going off from that it kind of almost I hate that it, it, they kind of felt like they were kind of like oh, drinking their own Kool-Aid. I don't like that phrase, but like, where they like, <laughs> hit, I, yeah, like I just couldn't think of a better one, but it's like, they hit this thing. They're like, this is great. We're going to keep it. But like, as they kept going, they're like, well, we can't undo this. So, and so like, it just kind of, it felt like it just kind of ramped up.
1: To be honest, that was my major problem. Like I didn't love this documentary or this, like this ex- movie experience in general, both from like a filmmaking point of view and from like a, what the story was point of view mostly because of that feeling like I spend a lot of my time listening to actors or artists talk, theater artists talk about their work. And there are, there are a few things that bore me more than listening to artists talk about how their work was really important. Um, Especially if it was a flop and then in retrospect, it was so important. And then, um, and I really don't like documentaries that are made by people involved in the story right Um, they should be made by external filmmakers and this was kind of navel gazy and like it was about us and i just oh it just kind of irritated me and like i have a fairly high threshold for tolerating theater artists going on about themselves (laughs) and i still was like oh my god guys come on so i don't know maybe i was just in the wrong mood for it but (laughs) it it really bugged me
0: (laughs) i think it would normally bug me me. in any other case i think since i have the prejudice of knowing the show as and like loving the show as much as I do just how it works for me just because it is like a biased perspective from someone who again is like mirroring the theme that I really love in the show about like looking reflecting on your youth just seeing how it's like a reflection on everything and on his career and then coming back to that and then actually having the visual power of the old timey footage and then having him like be able to watch his old self. I think my favorite part is when he's watching it on the steam back machine or whatever that is and then it's like, do you like him? He's like, hey, he's okay, do you think he'd like you? I'm like that part is like, gut-wrenching,
3: I think. Mm. I, don't I think a, he
0: liked the work I did.
3: Yeah.
2: I have a quick question, uh, Kelly, since you know last five years really well, do you know when it was first, uh, when it first came out, the musical? anyone? I, I, think like yeah.
1: okay. I think it was like 2002-ish somewhere in there. Okay. Nicole might know better than, better than I did. I,
2: would. I, yeah, because I wonder if that's like part of, because it was 1980, was, did it actually come, it was set in 1981, but did
3: Mary came, came out? in oh, 81, like 80, I think yeah. was the year. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering. I think with they the started t- making it in 81.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I would think like the time thing in particular, we've grown more used to non-linear storytelling, yeah. which I mm-hmm. guess is why because it looks like that interesting enough that they did the re um, the reunited version of merrily we roll along in that same year they were doing the last five years so sure and
1: i i would bet money that um jason robert brown is a merrily we roll along fan right like he's like the Mm -hmm. the dna of sondheim is or sondheim is very much in the dna of jason robert brown shows um
3: and i'm actually kind of surprised that i remember that it was 2001 i just checked (laughs) Oh, (laughs) oh wow
1: Good job. Jesus. Yeah. How much i love um,
3: Jason Robert Brown. Yeah. yeah, I love him
1: too, so, so much. I specifically love that musical. Um, I just think You're it, it's- You're the reason I love that musical. I think it's literally perfect. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, and I do, I think that happens. I think that you can see that really well in film history, right? We talked a little about this a lot with Citizen Kane. The idea of like doing something first and whether or not it's like done super well or super effective in that version. Um, if they hadn't done it then we wouldn't have all these n- brilliant things that perfected it later mm-hmm. um, yeah. so certainly and to Matt's point earlier certainly the themes of merrily we roll along like when we talk about I love give me a story about like long-lasting friendship any day right mm-hmm. um, and so like the themes of it seem really appealing to me and I know a couple of the songs um, but I don't know the musical at all like at all I had no idea what it was about um so to me it sounded like just a it didn't add up to the sum of its parts but it yeah. had a lot of good ideas yeah. Yeah. It's,
0: I, I feel like it's a show that's very difficult to do well because I like when I saw it the first time I was like in my full like 100 percent last five years phase like I had just discovered last five years so
3: oh, good face to me,
0: yeah. Oh, I've been place.
3: in it for 10 years.
0: Oh, really? Nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, I still like it enough, but like, it was very fresh in my brain. And the big difference that I remember clocking even then was that last five years is like supported on both ends because it goes back and forth. And since they're moving at a related pace, it ends in a place that's like a perfect framing device. And the challenge with this is that it is moving backwards with no awareness of the future and all the really good juicy dramatic scenes happen right at the beginning, like within the first five minutes. That's when like they have their huge blow up, like a woman gets iodine thrown in her face and she starts screaming and like, it's in, like, yeah, it's intense. Uh, and when it's done well, it's amazing. But the fact that like it starts off on such an emotional high and then moves in a way where the plot gets less dramatic, I feel like that's really hard to pull off unless you have like top tier performers mm-hmm. and unless you frame it in a way that makes sense. Because, And I don't know if this was in the original production or if they added it after, but the way it is, at least now, in between each scene, there's like a Greek chorus that's singing, to Frank being like, why'd you make that decision? Then they count down the years to explain, like we're moving from 1972 to like 1971, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. So it makes a bit more sense when you're seeing it.
2: They definitely did. I don't remember specifically what they did, but they remember some big set production thing. I can't remember if it was a course, but there was definitely a big to do about the time moving. Like, I can't remember yeah. specifically what it was they did, but it was definitely like it was a projection or it was a big. So I don't know if that's a newer edition.
1: From the from the vague Wikipediaing I did, it seems like there's like built into the fabric of the piece is the is the Greek chorus who comes in and does the reprise of the main title theme.
2: Yeah, um, they did. They did, did definitely repeated the Meredith Lee "Roll Along, Roll Along" several times. Facing a dream. Beautiful. Oh. Yes, I, also, I don't
1: know. I know not a day goes by because it's on Dan Shamroy's ni- like solo <laughs> album from the '90s it's that's the only, oh, and I know Old Friends because it's on, I don't know, some CD I have. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't really, I don't know anything else.
2: Yeah. I just, uh, just out of curiosity, just sort of thinking about why it flopped. I also looked, because we were talking about 80s musicals before and like the big ones were like Les Mis and Phantom. And so Les Mis was released into 1980. And that's a very different sort of musical. Like I feel like you had With Company, like they're very, it's a very thoughtful one where there's sort of big sweeping stories with phantom and lame so i could also just be a matter of just the audience like that's not the appetite that the audience wanted at the moment
1: very possible yeah they were like moving away from um and like also just melodically like i'm not a huge sondheim person because i like a i like a melody i can sing a yeah. little bit more like he's very um atonal and that story that j Jay- i've now heard jason alexander say twice this yeah. month um about the chromatics yeah. like that's just not you know i'd rather the song not have all the chromatics um and like certainly with i mean les Mis and phantom were later but certainly with the rise of that kind of musical and yeah. the rise of andrew lloyd weber certainly was a more melodic um and like familiar there were a lot of Adapt adaptations. I mean, this was technically an, an, an adaptation as well, but like an adaptation of really famous stories um, that were happening more in the eighties in musical theater. And yeah. um, Sondheim's style was like very seventies.
2: Yeah. it did look like. Just looking at the it Wikipedia right now, it did look like it premiered in nineteen eighty. Oh, yeah, did it around the it same was, time? I yeah. thought it was
3: later. Never mind. I'm.
2: Yeah, wrong. But 19, Phantom was later. Phantom was nineteen eighty six. It looks oh. like. So. And then
3: you have Miss Saigon in eighty nine. And that's Mm. still like the sweeping stories with the nice melody that I'm pretty sure if you ask any guy on the street he can sing why god why. And you if you ask
4: See
3: any guy on the street There we go. And by any guy on the street I absolutely mean any guy in an audition room. Yeah, I was gonna say like
1: who are I was a I was literally just about to say who are are these men? And then Matt started. So I was like, Oh, they're
2: like Thank you, Matt.
0: Okay, I have to go. Oh, I had one closing thought before I leave
2: for yeah. Virginia Wolf,
0: which is not very um, philosophical or anything. It's just to weigh in on sort of where the conversation is now. But I think another reason it might have flopped. Is the same reason a ride at Disneyland's uh, Disney's California Adventure flop, which is an infamous ride called Superstar Limo. If anyone knows their Disney history, it was a ride that Michael Eisner thought was a brilliant idea, where you get into a limo, then you drive past these like animatronic caricatures of people who were then famous, like in '99, like uh, Drew Carey and Paula Abdul and like people that no one after like five years would care about. And he was approaching it from the mentality of like, oh, well, my entire world is Hollywood and what that schmoozing reality is. And so he thought Mm -hmm. for himself that since that's something he could relate to, that everyone would love it without having the perspective Mm -hmm. of this is not something other people like normal people would be able to understand. And so I think it's also possible that Merrily in its original production was playing more into the, industry corruption side of things instead of into the friendship element because it's sort of equally at least the script from what I remember is equally weighed between the two of them and like the heart of it for me is the friendship and the relationships but it has so much to do with like specifics that not many people can relate to like oh you're selling out because of money and whatever so
2: yeah. that's
4: my
0: thought for why I could fail yeah
2: it, did yeah, seem... it is very navel gazey yeah it did mm-hmm. seem very sort of geared towards creatives at least from my impression. But anyway, okay.
1: well, we'll Let's let you go. go. Thanks, Matt. Enjoy Thank your you reading. Hey. I
0: shall. Meow.
1: Yeah, that's how he signs off. I don't know. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I couldn't tell you. Um, uh, I mean, I could, but nah. um, <laughs> uh, does anyone else have? I don't have a lot to say about this movie. I
2: mean, have it's much m- left. Mm-hmm. Do you have? Go ahead. Oh, so I mean, I think it's mostly. I don't know, like, I guess the thoughts that it provokes, I don't know if it's necessarily the documentary itself, but just sort of that, how it fits into musical theater history. Like, cause you think about it, like Sondheim was sort of a reaction to like Hammerstein, and Hammerstein, all of that, where they had big sweeping stories again. And Sondheim kind of broke that up in terms of like, making it, because I feel like a lot of people didn't like company cause it's like, oh, that's too close to real life. like. Mm. a lot more nuanced it's just sort of interesting to see I don't know like seeing I guess within I'm more in the Sondheim mood with this 90th anniversary thing that just showed up but just sort of interesting to see the place in it but I don't know that necessarily credit to the documentary but it just put me on that train of thought
1: Right, I'm gonna make two contradictory statements about Sondheim right now, which is that (laughs) I'm I really like his stories more than his like like I like that he picks complicated human realistic stories, yeah. Um, And then I also think he works better in concert, which are two totally contradictory things. But the reason I think I like concert versions um, is not because I want to see I I never want to see a concert version of a particular Sondheim show. But I like a selection, like his birthday, like a selection of Sondheim's best hit, not best hits, but like, specifically, I think the songs that work for me the best from all Sondheim musicals are things that you can pull out of context and like solos, um, Mm. like big, big ballad solos. Um, I don't love like a fun patter song. I don't like his big his big group numbers. I that kind of does songs. Yeah, but you would love a patter song.
2: Like, I, <laughs> I mean, yeah. i, I I'm a ballad it? girl. Yeah, right. Like it's just like I, I, I,
1: I, give me a, a pretty thing that Mandy Patinkin's just gonna sing on a oh dog God, walk. Oh, a, oh a, that was beautiful.
2: <laughs> the Park of George. That was beautiful. Yeah
1: it was beautiful but then I then I saw Sunday in the Park with George and I was like I don't remember this melody when I'm walking out of the theater like it doesn't I don't know he just doesn't really do it for me like the song he has a couple songs that I just think are beautiful but there's nothing that like reaches right into my heart and just like destroys me the way that my favorite um, songwriters do
2: I think it's very much you have to be in a different state of mind it's like okay like I don't know like in a more analytical, not that you like, I don't know what, how to describe it, but see, it's a like, different. Like, I need to adjust my expectations to when I get to Son Like, I'm appreciating different things about it versus yeah. like I want to be swept away on a big experience. Which, some I, other, I agree with that
1: at. and but then I want a bigger payoff than what's there for the most part. Like I, I hate that. I'm like now the like girl coming out against Sondheim. That's lame. Sorry. I do like Sondheim and I do it totally acknowledge that all my favorite songwriters owe everything to Sondheim. However, um, things like, like you look at old friends, for example, which is just one of the only ones from Merrily that I'm able to analyze. Cause I know it. Yeah. Um, like it does have that sort of like, not super singable, just kind of like m- mumbly thing to it. In which case, cause it's like more realistic or whatever, in which case I want the lyrics to be incredibly meaningful and incredibly honest, but they're not, they're just kind of words. Like, I don't, I don't know. I just, I, I feel like the, it, it's not as enjoyable as I want it to be in order for it, like if it's going to be that difficult of a listen, I want it to be mm. more intellectually and emotionally rewarding than it is
2: yeah
3: if being alive and I don't think it's well. totally sondheim either because the original idea from me that we see is through Hal prince and i'm it's one of those like I'm never going to disrespect the dead and he had a very fantastic career um both with and without Sondheim, but a lot of the major issues it seems come from the fact that this was Merrily right because it it was basically like oh my my wife is smart so I'm gonna do a a show about children but I'm gonna do a show about children who grow up to be like completely downtrodden completely disillusioned folks and then so you have that complex issue You've got the complex issue of going backward in time, which maybe not too bad, but then it's a 20-year jump. And I mean, we've seen fairly significant jumps in things like Our Town, but it's a completely different medium. Like it's it's, yeah, it's a play. It's, it's not so a musical. Like you have people who can do uh, do like the expositions where they're explaining why everything is going on.
1: Also in our town, they're going front to back. Right. Right. So people are generally playing the age that they currently are and then moving. And that just works better when you, when the thing that's hard to believe happens last. Right. I think it works better. That's why Um, I think he
3: needed one of the two complexities.
1: Yeah. I think you're right. I think I was just kind of complaining about Sondheim in general, uh, because I feel like uh, theater people give me really hard time about just kind of not getting him. Uh, but I think don't. in this particular case, the the flop of it all, because um, there, are, there are Sondheim shows that I don't like that are big, big hits. Mm-hmm. So I think the flop of it all really is like this was just not Hal Prince's moment. Like he had a, a quite a few things along the way. Like even the idea of thinking of it as a show about kids, it doesn't seem to right. be the right approach to... To yeah. the material at all. That's not what the, this was about, and he was trying to make it about the thing he wanted it to be about instead of the thing that it was.
2: Yeah, when they mentioned that, I'm like, wait, which musical is that? Is that because when I saw that musical, that was like that was Meryl Monroe along that because I didn't get that that is for kids at all when I saw no. that. Like, yeah,
3: no, I don't even think, think it was. I don't think it was supposed to be for kids, and I don't think it was supposed to be about kids. But I think Hal Prince thought it was supposed to be about kids.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think and, I think he just this this piece just did not bring out. It it didn't make sense to him, but he didn't know that it didn't make sense to him. And that was where it went wrong.
3: That's um, what the documentary, I think, showed the
1: most. Principally. But then I also, like, the documentary. You can't make a, don't make a movie about yourself. Just don't do it. And, like, I'm glad that he didn't use a ton of his own um interview he didn't do a ton of talking head interviews himself so like was less about him than it could have been but still it was like I just I prefer a little distance I prefer to so that you can have a little bit more critical distance yes and I just I it gets to me what the the my work is so important this was such an important right moment thing and I'm
3: wondering how much of that would have changed if it wasn't Lonnie like, if they weren't talking to a yeah. fellow cast member who played one of the three leads in the exactly. show. Exactly, exactly. So, like, I wonder how much... I mean, you get you get kind of into the critical side of it when you have um, Weizenbach basically being like, dude, what the hell? Um, but other than that, that's kind of the only critic...
1: Yeah, this to me felt yeah. like if Eric had made Raiders.
3: Like, you right. know, it's just kind of not quite... I don't know. I it just she says know. to the only only one of the three other people on this call actually watch and raiders. to the
1: millions of people who tune in every episode who mm-hmm. just heard the raiders discussion
3: fair enough <laughs> well, fair so, enough
4: like, jumping um, in just cuz like yeah cuz why not Oh yeah. Well, no. It's because it's so interesting. Because as someone who does not know this musical, I had obviously a completely different experience. And so for me, it was this like fascinating. Why am I covering my mouth? Juxtaposition of the musical itself is these people played by children who are trying to start very old. And then they end up very young and they're all happy and joyous. And so the documentary, which obviously this is how life is, is all these children who are very happy and joyous, as they should be, getting emotionally crushed by the realities of life. And I just remember um, there was a couple interviews. And I'm Honestly, I'm, I'm so sorry. The only one I remember their name was Jason Alexander. totally valid Um, (laughs) and so when he he's like they're all going through like what they did post and he was saying how he did um Seinfeld and he did all these things but then he was thinking about going back on Broadway and his wife was like well do you want to remember doing eight shows a week or do you want to remember tucking your kids in at night and he's like well of course I want to be like the father and then when it like cuts to him being like but sometimes I wonder like was that it and for some reason that hit me really hard because it's, like, both with when he, like, when his Tony and he's, like, oh, is that kind of, like, all? And it's, like, A, you never really, like, even when you hit that kind of, like, thing that you thought you always wanted is, like, is that actually what you want? Or is it as important as what you think it is? Slash, like, what is life when you, like what is more important? Like you end up like missing out on something and he could have either become like a huge Broadway star and missed his kids or like grown up with his kids and missed Broadway. And it's like,
1: oh, yeah. Life I paths. think I think Jason Alexander was the most interesting thing about this, move, this documentary, which is going to enrage lots of theater people, but I don't care. Um, I think that um, that's kind of it. The idea of like, oh, it's Jason Alexander that you found was interesting because he's a celebrity. Like the idea of like, we know him, as a celebrity but like he's a theater kid like Mm. he's a a, triple threat musical theater tony winning like he was in the original cast of merrily we roll along (laughs) um and i think that 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 part of his identity was completely stripped from him when he became famous and now Mm. the only thing like the only time most people have heard him sing and by most Mm. people i mean like even just our subsection of the population um is that he's in that brilliant cinderella um but other than that, like most people haven't heard him sing ever, even though that's who he is. And I, I had some issues with his wife with that comment. Like, come on, Broadway contracts are temporary lady and right. he can commute and, or you could, the kids yeah. are really young. You can go to New York with him for a while. Like, come right. on. Yeah. That really bugged me. <laughs> um, I but-
4: forgot about his great stint as as i referenced to my friend the gargoyle in the hunchback of notre dame oh worst yeah. part of yeah. that movie that, Sorry, if you sir. if
1: you cut the gargoyles from that movie it gets 10 times better because <laughs> yeah. but that was their like attempt to, to be to be yeah. a kids movie again because that's a very scary movie without them. Oh but oh my god it's um, a
3: scary movie with them Jesus. it is a scary movie with them but <laughs> the that's like they
1: it's like the it, it has to be funny somehow and they're yeah. the only funny thing in the whole movie um but i think i think jason alexander in his his sort of like creeping unhappiness and i also yeah. read a lot into his ever-changing hairline um yeah. like i just that the um
3: the there's a sort of
1: dissatisfaction and a and a a, a, a reaching mm-hmm. that i read into that perhaps you know misguidedly um uh, <laughs> his hair just keeps there's more of it as he gets older um but uh yeah i don't know i found him him compelling and his side of it compelling. And I do, I do like to go back to something we said way uh, long ago. I do mm-hmm. think it's interesting the way that um, th- the filmmakers were able to find some of the, the themes from the musical in their story that they were telling. And certainly the like Hollywood element of it um, came in
3: with Jason Alexander, but
1: um, I that was the only storyline. I thought that was was all that interesting.
3: I actually mm-hmm. liked the youngest cast member to a certain degree because she... I mean, she came off as super jaded. Um, <laughs> yes. She's the like, one who lost
4: her voice when she said. Yeah. Yeah, that was really
3: interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that was yeah very, I thought she
4: was cool too. Yeah.
3: Um, because, well, first things first, there is zero way that you can believe that very young looking girl was anywhere near in her 40s ever. So i don't know what in the hell they were thinking on that one, but she was sixteen looking like twelve
1: well we she she had braces is why she looked twelve but um but
3: also just if, having-
1: is the chorus supposed to like does the, does that matter if the chorus like she wasn't like a lead i don't know i don't know how merrily along <laughs> works i don't know but and yeah, they should have look- cast their young looking thirty year olds i don't know this is so obvious to they me. had an idea they went with yeah. it they yeah they stuck they with stuck their guns right. too too much they want, they overcommitted, um mm. yes but uh, yeah you're right she was interesting as well I think that I mean, she had an interesting um arc and then um I also kind of liked it was was it her who said don't follow your dreams yes. so far? yeah that that made sense to me because like I do it like it was jaded and weird but also realistic and I've just you know like, there, I always say there's, there's too many theater schools, you know, and it, we, not everybody should follow their dreams. And that, that line that Alan Alda, savior of the world, Alan Alda said, if you can imagine yourself doing anything else, do it. I always say that if you could possibly be an accountant, why be a musician? But yeah. the, only, the only reason to become a musician or an actor or whatever is if you you can't imagine doing literally anything else in the whole world. That's
3: literally and there are people like not. that, certainly, right? <laughs> but I don't know. It's yeah. literally the reason that I did not go into theater ever. Um, I mean, I had a moment of, so I don't actually know if either of the two that I met in college knew this. I was a bio major going to be a veterinarian when I started. I
2: was a theater. bio. I got my biology degree. I haven't used it.
3: Well, I was a bio major, uh, planning on being pre-vet for two weeks and then went, I can't do this. This is not what I want and switched to English and ultimately did something with that. But even that was kind of like, a. it was hard for me to think about not doing theater Mm. Like my dad was, my dad was hardline. You're go if you're going to college, if we're paying for college, you are not going for theater. Mm. Um, and actually he boycotted Romeo and Juliet because I did theater in college.
1: I remember yeah. this. I yes. remember
3: the oh, yeah. it was a big thing. It, it was a very big thing to me during that time and- that like my mom came and my little sister came, but my dad would not come because he didn't support the idea of me pursuing theater further.
1: Right. And I think that that's sort of the point, like what she's saying in that interview is like following your dreams is important, but don't follow them too far. Like, I think she would never tell you not to do Romeo and Juliet, right? Like, cause it was a, it was an extracurricular, um, but, you know, pursue it, but don't, don't give up your happiness for it. If there's happiness elsewhere to be found. Now for some people, there are people in the world who like, it's that or bust. Like, and if, if, you know, they would give up anything in order to do it, but um, I don't know. I, I, I think that was an interesting angle. She was also quite compelling, um, but uh, yeah, I don't know.
3: I mean, and I did. constantly miss it. Yeah. I mean, you know, Kelly knows that I, I have tried out for theater since as an extracurricular because I do really miss that aspect of it. I mean, 90% of my job relies on me acting in some capacity, so why not bring it in to, you know, coming out of retirement, so to speak? Um, But it's hard, and I do wonder what I missed along the way when I wasn't involved in community theater before.
2: I did, um, I think we were saying about The Jaded Girl, I did kind of, like, because it was, again, the parallel to the musical where you had sort of the people fresh coming out into one became super jaded one got very successful etc so i thought again with the parallels that worked i not i don't know like i mean i wouldn't say it was like the best critical documentary of that period i enjoyed it for what it was and i don't know um if I guess the one argument that could be made for the navel gaziness is it sort of has you're in that bubble of that enthusiasm which is sort of where you begin like with the kids where you're just like oh we can never mess up we can so it I don't know I mean so it definitely wouldn't pick it for like a critical breakdown of Mary we role in history but there were aspects of that that I still enjoyed. Yeah,
1: it was it was a nice, it was, you know, interesting enough to see. I I don't feel like I learned that much about Merrily We Roll Along. I would have liked some attempt to be made to try and figure out what was at the core of the rift between Sondheim and Hal Prince. Um, yeah. They didn't even ask them, which was interesting, mm-hmm. slash actively uninteresting. <laughs> um, you know, I just, I, I don't think it was, it was a nice enough, interesting enough way to spend 90 minutes of my life, but I don't think it was particularly well-made film. Um, has anyone seen the Documentary Now episode I was <laughs> to bring based
2: that up on this? You need to, they uh, can put that in the, is for Americans. Wait. Because it's on on American Netflix. It might be on Canadian.
1: Um, I don't think we have documentary now on on Netflix, but I'm sure people can find it somewhere.
2: But we do have it on American Netflix and it's episode, it's season three, episode three, I think. And it's called Co-op.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's definitely called Co-op. Yeah, it's definitely not on Canadian Netflix because I I definitely searched John Mulaney very recently to make someone watch uh, Sack Lunch Bunch. Um, But
2: it's very loosely, the funny thing is, one of my non-musical theater people, they like, brought this like, Oh, you really like this. And, like, and I listened to it, like, wait a minute. This is a spoof of company. I know what this is. But I was just, it's always exciting when, like, someone outside of the theater circle, like, where they usually tell you just stop talking about theater, stop talking about Shakespeare. I'm like, oh, ho, how the tables have turned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's episode three, season three, episode three, co-op. So. Nicole, I think specifically, you haven't seen it. You should definitely see this. You will,
1: you will very much enjoy it. It's very silly, so, you know, but... Um, Am it, I it's, not silly?
3: It's,
1: <laughs> well, sure, yes. But it's, it's very enjoyable. Um, if you like uh, this and you like John Mulaney, you'll like it. Um, but yeah, okay. So does anyone have any, anything else to say about this documentary? I give it a solid B-minus. Yeah, that feels right. It didn't deserve to close in 16 performances.
3: <laughs> well, I was going full documentary. No, I'm, I was joking. Oh, fair like enough. Like, if
1: this was on Broadway, I wouldn't close it in 16 performances, but I wouldn't give it any Tonys.
3: That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it was It was enjoyable to know the background of a, a flop, and it was kind of nice to see how it was made. I did think it was a little too, uh, you know, friendly to what was going on instead of, you know, giving getting a little more critical, but it wasn't bad.
2: Yeah. No, I mean, I thought it was definitely enjoyable to see, have that footage of them working on it in their younger days and to see, yeah, see behind the scenes of what that was like. And, such a, a show that I guess they would have expected to be so successful, and ultimately wasn't. But yeah, I mean, it was it was pleasant. It was, I enjoyed it. I like Sondheim and musicals. So yeah, it was interesting. Why not? Right? Yeah. It was. I good. always
1: enjoy a good behind the scenes.
3: Yeah. it was good. I liked it.
2: Yeah, it's I think if great. you
3: watch it as a uh, <laughs> if you watch it for its critiques, you're not going to love it. If you watch it for its enjoyableness, you'll like it.
1: Yeah, it was cute. It was why not? I don't In know. Of Brie, kind of, kind of, <laughs> a, kind of attracted to young Jason Alexander. I don't know. I'll think about it later. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I was too. So I'll give you that.
1: I
4: was like, not prepared for that. <laughs> when he was like 25 and he
1: was in the rehearsal hall
4: the first time i saw him was in that cinderella movie i'm like oh he's the old dude so when i saw him with like a full head of hair i was like oh no
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a little surprising it's a little okay jason alexander i see you you're singing okay
3: <laughs> you to win kelly's heart yeah singing
1: Yes. Well, this is very this is very real. There's a there's a rubric. People should follow it.
3: Oh, I am aware. <laughs> you I'm have glad that for I everything.
1: Of course. Of That's course. You got to have a rubric.
3: Got to have a rubric. One of my favorite humans.
2: I'm <laughs> glad I have that trivia now that Jason Alexander was in the original Broadway cast of Merrily We Roll Along cuz I did not know that. Before. There you
1: go because he is. I do think people who are like sitcom famous have a tendency to be sort of cast aside and been thought of as like not that talented um and then anyone who saw him in Cinderella was like wait I think maybe Jason Alexander is talented but like there's nothing quite as like nail in the coffin of no you're underestimating this person as original cast relatively obscure Sondheim show yes (laughs) that's like legit
3: but also like Neil Patrick Harris is a sitcom actor that is also very talented so but but he was an
2: assassin.
1: Like I one, would say Neil Patrick Harris is very far from being overrated or underrated.
3: That's true. He yeah. is
1: not someone who is underestimated. In fact, he is someone who's like known as a singer and that is put true. up against actual singers and it's like, wait, is it possibly he's not really a singer? <laughs> you know? True. He's yeah, I would enough. say, you know, he's think- he's got plenty of the reputation going
2: for him i feel like that's his thing like he's definitely like yeah you know him like as the theater guy that the tv guy that is also really into musicals like i feel like that's part of his yeah whereas
1: i think that jason alexander is a theater guy who got famous on tv and there's a very big difference there oh yeah whereas like neil patrick harris is a tv guy who has done some musicals as opposed to a theater guy who you know it's a different thing
3: that's fair
4: but what about hugh jackman who like obviously he's a movie
1: guy who likes musicals (laughs) he's not a yeah or like Uh does musical like he's not a that's not a theater man (laughs) he's just not come on
3: come (laughs) on please
1: put that on a mug (laughs) whereas like when you see i don't know when like like when laura benanti does a sitcom you're like ah you know, it, it just feels different when it's a theater person doing tv as opposed to a, a tv movie person doing theater it's just different.
2: okay
1: <laughs> or at least i can spot it no i'm yeah. like jeremy jordan on supergirl it's a little bit like what are you oh doing? my god i love him though i mean but the, greg berlanti is hilarious because he's just a, such a broadway nerd that he hires all the best broadway like the casts of the Arrowverse, have like extraordinary voices they're all like broadway legends <laughs> like jesse l martin is on the flash like it's just ridiculous
2: also there's Ra- raul sparta he's like i didn't realize he did like a random recurring role in like law and or- is it law and order
1: he was he was like a lead on law and order yeah for years. i don't, I don't, yeah, I don't, I I don't watch
2: days. but i don't watch law and order so i knew yeah, no, me neither yeah. boom, and like i actually did see that production of company where he was um bobby yeah uh, but so that's like, the recording
1: so like, I have man he's great yeah
2: but yeah. I definitely I feel it, it's always jarring to see him I'm like what are you doing like,
1: yeah well and there was a a few years ago at the Tony's they there was a, a like funny little number about the all the failed tv projects of the like massive Broadway stars who were trying to make it in tv and keep failing yeah. um and it was like Laura Bernanti whose sitcom had just been canceled and um uh um Andrew Rannells, whose sitcom had just been canceled, and like, there was like a whole lineup of a Megan Hilty, whose Smash had just been canceled. Like there was this whole lineup, um, because what happens in this? This I tell the story all the time. With Jeremy Jordan was the, the lead in um the in Finding Neverland musical. Then when it went to Broadway, they replaced him with Matthew Morrison, who, regardless of the rubric you're using, is worse than Jeremy Jordan. Like he's a worse actor he's worse singer he's worse looking he's he's just there's no reason to cast him except that he had a tv credit and therefore was a little bit more famous and the tourists were more likely to come to see him and that's when jeremy jordan quit broadway and joined supergirl as the like seventh guy on the call sheet yeah and
3: he's just fantastic in general He's fantastic
1: in general, but he was playing like, well, he's no longer on it. And he went back to Broadway, but like for a while, he was like the seventh guy on the, on the Supergirl call sheet just like slumming it because he lost, he was losing jobs to people with TV credits because right. you have to, you're nothing until you're in Hollywood, even if you're the biggest thing on Broadway. So you see, like if you watch, um, if you watch uh, The Good Wife, which is filmed in New York and made by Broadway fans, every single supporting character is a Broadway star. Or like a guest, oh, every guest star is a Broadway star because it's like Robert and Michelle King are just like, could we get Audra
3: McDonald to play this part? <laughs> yes, we could. But yeah. also like private practice Grey's Anatomy, Audra McDonald. And then we have... Uh, she was so bad
1: on that though. I know,
3: but then they also have Sarah Ramirez who yep. like... Dear sweet baby Jesus, do I love listening to her sing Diva's Lament from Spamalot. Mm-hmm. And she's still good on Grey's Anatomy.
1: I mean, to me, she'll always be the checkout girl from You've Got Mail, but yeah.
2: <laughs> Rock on. Well, it's definitely Adina made it. Uh, I mean, granted in Pixar form, but I just remember seeing, do you remember when Enchanted came out? Yes. Oh, yes. And they cast her in, and then they didn't have her well, sing no. at all. She, she
4: specifically said, requested she not sing.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, did she? Yeah,
4: she was like, I want to have a movie that has nothing, that uh, is based on my acting there and not like uses my voice as like a crutch.
1: I didn't know she requested that, but that makes sense. But that's what I mean, right? Like, like Aaron DeBate was on Graceland, and like, you know, they just, the that, girl. they do that. Yeah, he, he has a I lot actually. That. He's done a lot of TV.
3: Hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
1: But yeah, no, they uh, they they do that. And then, I mean, have you seen The Politician? He sings in The Politician, but Ben Platt is fantastic in The Politician. Um, and he's a real Broadway guy. Yeah. No, Although he broke out in, in Pitch Perfect. So he's sort of like a back and forth kind of.
2: Still need to see yeah. Next to Normal. Because I I've, I've love the cast album of it, but I don't know that I've ever seen it.
1: It's fine.
2: I don't know. <laughs> I, really, I really like it.
1: Yeah, it's one of those, but I would say it's one of those ones that, like, the cast album gives you, like, gets you at least 80% there, so, like, paying to see it, there's not, like, a lot. You don't
2: necessarily need to. Yeah,
1: exactly. This is actually, as much as it's a perfect musical, this is how I feel about the last five years. Like, that, especially the original cast album that is just, like, so perfect. Um Dear God, You yeah. don't need to see it. It is <laughs> just, it's all, everything you need is there, And next to normal,
2: yeah, I've never seen The Man of La Mancha, but I remember hearing that it was one of those musicals that's kind of like that. None of anyone seen it.
1: I hate Man of La Mancha, so I don't know. I think it's got one good song and yeah.
2: yeah. I mean, I love that song with the God Dream Impossible Dream because it was. Yeah. I was also big into My Limbs Face and Colm Wilkinson. I think was I had a version of him singing that song. Yeah. I'm like oh, this is great, but.
3: Your lame Miz phase. girl, yeah. I've been opinion. in my Lay Miz phase for twenty years. <laughs> of yeah, course,
2: it, it never goes
1: away. Yeah, Le Miz is amazing. I'm so sorry, Laura, that you missed out on all the best '80s musicals.
2: <laughs> no, I did. I, I oh, I, I like dove into them in circa like 2003. Like I, I made up for lost time.
3: Girl, I got you. But I feel like I'm probably <laughs> one of
2: the few that, like, read the book for Les Mis before going in. I was super excited. I'm like, oh, they had all the plot lines. I'm so excited about that. Wow. Them.
1: I, when the movie came out, I did, like, a deep dive into the Wikipedia synopsis of the movie, or no, of the book, because they did yeah. take certain things from the book, and I didn't want to, like, criticize changes they made if they were changes that were from the book. Yeah. Um, but uh, other than that, no, I, I'd never read it. I have a copy sitting on my shelf because last year Scott Garland was cleaning out his um, bookshelves and was giving away all his books. And I took all of the like big classics um, just because I have space. And so I've never opened it. And it's he was like, I don't know why you want this. You're never going to open it. And
2: I was like, it looks that pretty is. on the shelf and so there. Good. It's just sitting there. No, because like, before it, like it became like one of my favorite books before I even saw the musical. And except for Laura, the, except for whatever reason, Victor Hugo goes on these random rants so about
1: like, the sewer system.
2: Yeah, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> bro, See. I don't care <laughs> about the sewer system.
3: James oh. Joyce, <laughs> I read some,
2: some James Joyce, for Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man.
3: You might want to read Ulysses at one point.
2: I haven't done <laughs> that. Portrait ranting. Portrait is pretty short, so. Like it's a little oh yeah i know but even because he did hunchback too i can't remember what did the you read one. hunchback yes i did i was a mm. victor hugo fan at that time i
1: read i read hunchback yeah. in french yeah. class
2: yeah oh. no but so i was like lame as like i need to read like mm. except like, <laughs> the the level. esmeralda obviously awful. has a much worse ending and but I'm surprised. this is awful the goat, the goat is in the book the goat i 100 percent assumed the goat was a disney edition the goat is in the book and like her husband was like you know what, i can save one of you the gypsy girl or the goat i'm really fond of this goat i'm gonna save the goat
4: look hunchback had 60 pages of architecture and i got to the end and phoebus got the worst ending he got married i'm still mad at this like 15 years late. like everyone else got like dead or hung or burned. And her boy hung. got married. Phoebus was, Phoebus <laughs> was definitely funny.
2: a jerk. And whatever. He, he was definitely, it was depressing. I, I liked movie Esmeralda, Disney Esmeralda, more than book Esmeralda.
4: Well, she wasn't 16.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and she was also... like I felt like she had the lame is fighting spirit. Like, we're going to revolt. Or whatever. I,
1: um, or whatever. Just because something... <laughs> yeah. Just because something was adapted in the late twentieth century into a more frivolous medium doesn't mean it was adapted into a worse thing, and I think that there are lots of examples, including the work of Victor Hugo, in general. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I do, I do adore Book Lame is, It's, I feel like similar. It's long AF, but uh, it is long AF. But you will. I guess get the same cathartic payoff that you would from the musical versus disney hunchback and depressing uh yeah og Can hunchback
3: attest, i cried i legitimately cried every single time i sang, sang little fall of rain oh,
1: yeah, yeah 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 <laughs> no 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 that was, a th- that was like an actual thing Okay, I'm going to cut it off there because <laughs> Nicole managed to work in I Played Eponine. That's my cutoff. So so <laughs> <laughs>
3: oh,
0: Love no. you.
1: No. <laughs>